I have the privilege, the honor of starting our first series, Power Over Darkness, um, which is an interesting topic and honestly one that I don't think I've thought too heavily about over the last few years. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, it was pretty cool being able to study into it um, for this message. And darkness, um, what I'm going to be talking about for darkness is the opposite of light. And um, if you, it's really good definition, eh? Opposite of light. Um, but if light is seen as like the holiness of God, then the opposite of that would be a, a nature or a state of sin. Um, one that is often brought on from the enemy, um, being um, Satan. Um, and it could consist of anything from um, a nature of sin or being in a state of sickness or um, being constantly pushed down from the enemy. Um, and that whole concept, I'm sort of incorporating all into darkness. Um, so yeah, when I, was, um, when I was preparing for this message, and you know, I started off, as you do, you just Google it sort of thing. Uh, that's like the top tips that I have for preparing a message. You Google it straight away. And honestly, um, it was actually quite sobering because a lot of what came up were people who had fallen into darkness rather than um, had the power to overcome darkness. And so I was trying to find this whole you know, message around how we should overcome darkness, but there was testimony and testimony and testimony of church leaders and pastors and people in ministry who had somehow, they had the power to overcome darkness, but they kept succumbing to darkness. Um, and so it was, quite, it was quite interesting, but one story that continually came back was the story of Samson. Um, which is found in Judges about 14 to 16. Um, it tells the story of Samson, and it's quite an incredible story because Samson was a unique man. He wasn't like most men. He was a bit different. He was insanely strong. There was no one like him in all of Israel. And, um, you know, there's, I just, I, I read it, and I just, I put my Bible down, and I just thought, like, like wow, here is a picture of someone who had the most power, the most strength, the most, like, impossible in all of Israel, and yet he succumbed to darkness. And I don't think it was ever God's will for Samson to have his eyes gouged out by the enemy. I don't think it was ever God's will for Samson to have his hair shaven off in shame. I don't think it was ever God's will for Samson to be ridiculed in the temple of Dagon and, and spit upon by his enemy and then, and then hung to be, to be mocked. This was a mighty man of God. This was, this was from, the, from the start, a man who, who could rip the gates of Gaza. I'm gonna, is it Gaza or Gaza? I tried. I really, it was a 50-50 and I tried. Gaza. He could, like with his bare hands, he ripped the gates of Gaza up and he carried them off on his shoulders as trophies for the Lord. This was the guy who slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. This was a warrior. This was a man of God. He, this guy was anointed. He was appointed. This guy had God's hand over his life and somehow in the space of two chapters, Satan gets him. And he hooks him. And he has the most saddest fall and just humiliation. And, and I just stood back and I thought, wow. Not only 
did it affect him, but it shook all of Israel. For 20 years, Samson was the strongest. Samson was unbeatable. And honestly, I don't think Samson even saw it coming. To be fair, I mean, it started so small. It started in Judges chapter 16, verse 14. If there's one before that, I don't know if there's one before that. There might not be. Or oh, 15. It started in verse 15. And it says, then she said to him, how can you... Oh, no, before that. It started in 14, verse 14. And maybe I didn't put up there. I was just testing you guys. You guys have to listen. So there you go. But it was just such a small thing. I mean, he probably didn't think too much of it. He was just strolling around one day, and he happened to notice a Philistine woman off in the distance, off in the distance and he just took interest in her. Nothing. It was just something small. He didn't act on it. He didn't do anything like that. It was just something small. I mean, he was the strongest man there was. What could overpower him, right? And then the Bible doesn't say maybe it was a few weeks, maybe it was a few months of just noticing and noticing, and all of a sudden he really wants to date this Philistine woman. And so he goes to his parents, and his parents try and advise him against it because this is Samson. You're not supposed to date this Philistine woman. She doesn't believe what we believe. She's not, she's not, um, she, she, she doesn't value what we value. She, she doesn't believe in our God. You shouldn't date her. And so um, Samson starts arguing with his parents and then God comes along and tries to deal with Samson and then prophets come along and try and deal with Samson, but he's not having a bar of it. And he, he ends up dating her and then he tries to marry her and it all goes chaotic and sideways and next thing you know he's sleeping with prostitutes something that started so small Samson wouldn't have given a second thought to it next thing you know he's sleeping with prostitutes and then along comes Delilah a special sort of prostitute and he fell in love with her and then the the Philistine leaders um, came to Delilah and said hey You've got to find out how Samson gets his strength. You've you've got to find out. You've got to tell us. And so for a a small sum of money, she agrees to do it. And so three times she asks him, and she says, Samson, how do you get your money? And he resists her. He knows he's, he's not meant to tell her because she doesn't believe in the God that he believes in. So he resists, and he just comes up with some fake thing like, oh, it's a certain type of flax or something. And so she tries it. She ties him up, and nope, he's still strong. And so she comes again, and she's like, Samson, how do you get your strength? And he comes up with something random again. It's a certain type of rope this time. And so she tries it, and it doesn't work. And so for a third time, she, she asks again, Samson, how do you get your strength? And all the while saying, you know, Samson, I love you. I love you. How do you get your strength? You know, just subtle, just trying to be subtle. But he resists because this is a man of God. This is, this is a man whose God's hand is upon his life, and he resists. And then the fourth time, at this time it'll be on the screen. In Judges 16, verse 15, Delilah comes along and she says, Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day. You feel a woman joke coming on there, eh? But I was like, no, don't say it. Don't do it. it. So we're going to move on. (laughs) With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death. Another translation says he was sick and tired of her bothering him. (laughs) 
Okay, you can, you can laugh. But I was reading this, and, you know, I've, I'm talking about power over darkness, right? <clears throat> and if there's one thing I found is that the enemy's task, the, the enemy's sole, um, I want, not purpose, but just an, an accomplishment that he tries to achieve and the way that he knows that he's succeeding in your life is he'll try to make you tired. Because he knows if he can make you tired, then he can make you weak. And I don't mean tired like you didn't sleep enough last night or you stayed up too late and now you're tired the next day. No, that's your fault. <laughs> sleep more. That's fine. I mean tired like you're tired of reading your Bible. I mean tired like you're tired of hanging out in a church community. You're tired of being around other Christians. You want some other people in your life, some real people. You're tired of praying. If Satan can make you tired, then he can make you weak. My question is, are you tired? If you were to look at your own life, are you tired? What Samson didn't realize is that over the course of this time, he had removed himself from his, his Christian peers, essentially. That over the course of years and years and years, he would once always confide in God, and now he confides more in Delilah. Someone who doesn't believe in the God that he believes, he no longer has all the peers speaking into him, Instead, probably chances are they're just judging him. And then day after day, the enemy was nagging and nagging and nagging. And the Bible doesn't say how long. It might have been months and months. And Samson resisted and he resisted and he resisted and he tried and tried and tried. But eventually, he just became tired of it all. And verse 17 goes on to say, so he told her everything. He says, no razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I have been a Nazarite, dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Verse 18 says, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called, um, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. And then she called Samson. She said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out just as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That's powerful. That over so many years, Samson had become tired, he had become weak, and he didn't even realize that God had left him. That the power that was in him had left Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Gaza, Gaza, Gaza. Binding him with the bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. 
You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, how can I speak on the power we have over darkness if we continue to be blind to darkness itself? If we continue to allow darkness to overcome us, if we continue to allow the devil to tempt us, if we continually allow him to just weigh down on us. I was thinking what, what it would have been like for Satan to walk away from that. The most powerful man in all of Israel, the man who had the strength from God himself, and Satan walks away from that victory. He won that battle. I can imagine all that. It's not in your Bible. I'm making it up, honest, but I'm just imagining. This probably went down. All the demons come around him, and they're like, tell us, Satan, how did you do it? Tell us so that we can do it to others as well. And Satan begins to tell the story of how it wasn't that hard, really. It started when he was born, and I just watched him. I watched him for a few months. I watched him for years. I watched him as he grew up. I watched him encounter power, and I found that Samson didn't, didn't mind power. He gave that vibe that he didn't really care about it. You know, you can give a vibe that you're just not interested in something. I'm real good at it. If I want people to talk to me, I give a vibe, and I'm like, mm-mm. And they just walked straight past. <laughs> and he, he just gave a vibe about it, that he wasn't interested in power. So Satan's watching and he's watching. He's not doing anything. He's not intervening. For Samson, it's just years of peace. It's years of growth. It's years of, years of prosperity. And, and, and there's nothing coming against him. It's actually looking like his relationship with God is prospering. And it probably is. But for Satan, he's watching. And he sees how Samson interacts with money. And he sees, oh, Samson doesn't really care for money. He's got that vibe. He's not interested. Okay, I can't use that. And so years go by, and he's watching, and he's watching, and he's watching. And Samson doesn't realize, but one day Samson gives a vibe to a Philistine lady that he's interested. And Satan goes, huh, I got it. Satan hasn't attacked yet. Satan hasn't tried to fight him yet. All he's done is he's analyzed him and he's watched him year after year after year until finally Samson slipped and he gave a vibe to someone. And then Bible doesn't say how long went past, but you, you can imagine maybe it was years and, and Satan just slowly began to dangle different types of women in front of him and, and something that started as just a vibe became something that was more and more common and common and common. And then all of a sudden he thought, you know what? Why not just date one of them? And then next thing you know, he's trying to marry a Philistine woman. Next thing you know, he's, he's sleeping around with different Philistine women. Next thing you know, Satan's telling this story and the demon's like, ah. It wasn't that hard. I just waited and waited and waited until I found his weakness. And then I began to press into it. And I nagged, and I nagged, and I nagged. I used his weakness to push into him year after year, day after day, without relenting. And he became tired. You see so many church leaders around. Remember the story of Jim Baker from years ago, probably when I was still a child. This amazing televangelist. I think is how you say it, a television evangelist 
hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people would tune in to see his show. For years and years and years, it looked like he was a strong man of God. But slowly the enemy was watching, waiting, waiting, waiting for him to slip up so that he could see his weakness. And next thing you know, they're carrying him in in chains to prison. $156 million fraud. You got the story this year, and I, I wouldn't speak too much on it because the verdict hasn't been passed yet, but you've got Bill Hybels, where over the past year, accusation after accusation of sexual misconduct from this mighty man of God. Story after story of the devil waiting and waiting. We are all in a war. And if we don't truly understand the power of darkness that is upon each and every one of us every single day, waiting and waiting and waiting, then we'll never be able to know how to utilize the power we have inside of us. Because we have the power inside of us to overcome. But if we don't understand the power that's in front of us, the darkness that's upon us every day, we'll never know how to utilize it. Revelation 12 tells this incredible story of almost like a history of how God and Satan, the, the, the conflict and the battle between them. And, and in this chapter, Revelation 12, it outlines the three times that the devil waged a war. The first time he waged a war on God, and, and we, we, we know the outcome of that where the devil and a detachment of angels were cast out of heaven. He lost, he wasn't strong enough. Revelation 12 says that. And so Satan decides, oh, you know what? I can't get God, I'll get his son. And so the devil waged war on his son and three times he attacked him. The first time when Jesus was born, but God delivered Jesus and Joseph and Mary were able to escape the enemy. The second time was in temptation when the devil led Jesus into the wilderness and tried to tempt him and, and thankfully Jesus was able to resist the enemy. The third time was on um, the cross and I bet for three days Satan probably thought he had won until Jesus rose again and Satan was defeated and he realized, okay, I can't beat God. I can't beat Jesus. What I'll have to do is attack his children. And Revelation 12, verse 17 says, Then the dragon was enraged, and previously it said the dragon was um, an illustration of Satan himself. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. If you are a believer, Satan himself is after you. If you go to church, Satan is after you. If you've read your Bible, Satan is after you. If you pray, Satan is after you. If you serve in church, if if people around you know that you believe in God, he's after you. Why? Because if he can get you, he can not only stop you from inheriting your inheritance in heaven, but he can also shape the faith of those around you. Everyone influences someone. You don't have to be up here on stage. You can be in your workplace and you influence people for Christ. And he knows that if he can get you, then he can get your workplace. Their their faith can be shooken, shaked, shook. Every single one of us is in a war. 
And I think the greatest mistake we can make is assuming that he's not after us because we don't matter that much. He's after each and every one of us. He's trying to make you tired. Because if you become tired, you won't pray anymore. You won't read your Bible anymore. You won't go to church every Sunday. Because what's the point? You know what? Missing three Sundays is fine. Going once a month is fine. From the last statistic I remember hearing, it was one in every four months was the average attendance for a Christian in America. A Bible-believing Christian was once every four months because you begin to get tired. You don't value the importance of it anymore. But the Bible does say that we do have power over darkness, and I don't want this to be a super sad message. I think from what I've studied, there are three different ways people respond to the power of darkness, meaning when Satan attacks, when Satan sends temptation, when Satan sends trials, when Satan sends hardships and persecution, and when you feel the weight of it all under and you're wondering, how on earth did I get here? At one point, I had a a well-paying job, and now I'm in financial Strife. Maybe at one point you had a healthy um, relationship, a healthy marriage, and now your marriage is broken and it's torn apart. How did I get here? And there are three different ways from what I can see. This is just my own opinion. There might be more. Maybe if you study it longer or you might be able to see a different angle of it. But from what I can see, there are three different ways that people respond to the power of darkness. The first way is the way that Samson responded. They get in the ring. And the, the, the way that I've pictured this is that there's a boxing match going on. And Satan is there, and every time he wants to attack you with something, he'll put his gloves on and get ready to fight. And so the first way people respond to this is they'll hop in the ring and they'll begin to fight the enemy because Christ is in you, right? And so Samson, you see him begin to fight the enemy and he's resisting the enemy. And he does really well, you know. He's resisting for quite a while. Who knows how long? It could have been months. It could have been years. He was resisting the enemy. And every time the enemy would throw an attack, he would block it. He would, he would put his gloves up. I don't know. I'm not a boxer. But he would do something to defend himself. And years go by. And you can imagine there's no breaks when you're fighting the enemy. There's no time that you can rest. And years go by and you just begin to get tired. There's no refreshments, there's no food, there's no way to feed yourself. All you got is your 10 Bible verses that you remember off by heart and a couple of prayers that you prayed. And you're trying to throw them at it, but eventually it just gets useless. You're trying to attack, but you've got no time to to get into Scripture. You've got no time to actually seek God. You're just trying to use what you've got. You're in the ring, and you're fighting the enemy, and it's the scariest place you can be. Because you get tired. The second place that you can be in this boxing match, you imagine some matches going on somewhere, and the second place you can be is a silent spectator. And honestly, this is the saddest place to be. If in the ring is the scariest, this is the saddest place to be. 
where all you do is you watch this devil there and you don't try and do anything. You accept what has happened to you. And we have young people growing up with views of Christianity, believing that it's normal, believing that, well, this is who I am. Why should I try, try change it? This is, this is just my nature. We have people growing up believing in broken families that that's the new normal. At one point in time, I'm sure in, in my classroom, you'd be able to count the amount, of, the, the amount of kids who had divorced parents on your hands, but now it's like you can count the amount of kids who actually have their parents together on like one hand. Because getting divorced is the new normal. The silent spectator is someone who doesn't try and do anything about it. They've accepted the way they are. They've accepted, maybe they've been in financial bankruptcy their whole life, and it's just the way they are. Maybe it's their, their parents were fi financially broken, so now they are. Maybe their parents had a broken marriage, and so they've just accepted the fact that they'll probably have a broken marriage as well. If in the ring is the most scariest, being a silent spectator to what is going on in your life and the attacks that the power of darkness are having against you is the most saddest place to be. Yep. The third place. The, the third place is not a spectator and it's not someone who's in the ring. The third place is a shouting supporter. A shouting supporter is someone who's right on the ropes. And you're not in the ring because you know that Christ lives in you. And if Christ lives in you, then he will fight your battles. So why jump in the ring when Christ can be in the ring? And so your job is to support. Your job is to shout Bible verses. Your job is to shout prayer. Your job is to declare victory over your life because it is not you who have to fight. It is Christ who fights. And Christ has already overcome the enemy. He has already overcome darkness. And so you have the power to overcome darkness because you are a shouting supporter. Even a silent spectator has Christ fighting for him. But what change is gonna take place if you're not willing to actually put an effort into it? How is Christ gonna bring change in your life if you're not choosing to bring change? And so a shouting spectator is someone who is able to resist the enemy and resist the power of darkness and overcome. Why? Because he is Christ who is fighting an unrelenting devil. And he is able to, the shouting supporter is able to not only declare victory, but also refresh themselves in scripture and constantly get fed and constantly be revived and revitalized. They're not in the ring getting weary. They're not in the ring getting tired. They're not in the stands get being silent. They are right there on the front lines fighting the battles that the devil is sending their ways and they're using scripture and they're using prayer and they're being encouraged by those around them because they're coming to church, they're going to connect groups and they're being supported. The key to overcoming the power of darkness 
is to be a shouting supporter. Will you be a shouting supporter? Maybe you're sitting there and you just, you've been in that situation your whole life. You've been a silent spectator. You've just accepted stuff. How on earth will you change now? It's been the same for so long. Start with scripture. Yeah. Get into a connect group. That's great. Get supported. Get encouraged. Begin to pray again. Maybe you're, maybe you're in the ring and you feel up to your neck like you're drowning. And it's been nonstop for so long. You've been fighting every single day. You've been fighting sicknesses. You've been fighting relationships. You've been fighting fighting brokenness. First stop, get out of the ring. You'll never win against Satan on your own. You will always succumb to darkness like Samson did when he left everyone who was godly influence and he tried to do it on his own and he tried to resist and the strongest man in all of Israel only lasted so long on his own before the devil overthrew him. You know, I was reading this, um, I wasn't reading, I was watching this video years ago. It was a long time ago. And um, it was for practicum and we were doing this science topic on sound. It was, I, I know nothing about sound. I'm still learning how to hold a microphone, so <laughs> I don't know. But it was on sound and like decibels and how sound moves and all that sort of stuff. But I came across this one video that was super interesting. And what the guy had done, I have no idea. But somehow he set up these different cameras and he tried to explain it, but I didn't really understand it. But he set up different stuff and so that when you made a sound, it would show what that sound did to the air around it. And so, you know, you'd have someone who sneezed and it, it showed this, not like you'd see, like you did see the sneeze, but it looked like infrared almost, like it looked different, you know? And so you could see the sound molecules, I think they are called, come out of the mouth and, you know, spray everywhere because they sneezed. And so, you know, you'd see the difference between when you sneezed without your hand covering and when you sneezed with your hand covering. And so kids could understand the importance of covering your mouth. Um, and he'd do different things like a clap and, I don't know, a stomp and all that sort of stuff. And then he did a couple that were quite interesting. The first he did is he got someone to just speak. And so this, talk, this person was talking and you could see the sound molecules coming out and sort of being absorbed by the air around it. Like they'll sort of just come out and then just float and disappear, right? But then the next person shouted. And so you see the side view of a shout and the sound molecules coming out looked like they were piercing the air around it. And I remember hearing that, I was thinking, wow, that's so cool. And back then I was a runner, I was like real into my running, I don't know why, um, but I would go for long runs in the morning. And so it so impacted me that I would, I would go running and I was near the university and so there's like farmland all nearby and I don't want to shout at home, it feels weird, like the neighbors will probably think you're having a domestic and so I would run out into the countryside and it would be early in the morning and I'd just begin to shout and no one could hear me, thank goodness, except the devil and God, but I would begin to shout victory over my life. I would be able to, sh- I would shout Bible verses, I would shout prayers, I would, it's the weirdest experience but I'd begin to shout. Why? Because shouting pierces the air around it and the devil is known as the prince of the air. And so if we begin to become a shouting supporter who pierces 
the enemy with our shouts, who pierces the, the devil who's maybe taken up an atmosphere in your life where it's just so much negativity. Maybe you feel so broken. If you begin to shout and declare victory in your life, it'll pierce the atmosphere around you. Will you be a shouting supporter? 